You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. All right, so new series, Hard Sayings of Jesus. And what we're looking at are two things. One, there's different passages that we'll be going through, so not a specific book. Uh, we'll be over the Gospels and Revelation, kind of a little here and there. But the goal is this, the goal is this that we are looking at maybe common sayings that Christians, people grew up in the church, may know that Jesus said, but maybe somewhere down the line, they were not fully understood because they were a hard saying, hard to understand. Uh, But also we're looking at verses and passages that are really a hard pill to swallow, that when we read the words of Jesus, that he's not giving us guidelines, but he's giving us something to follow, and it's yes or no, it's obey or it's disobey, it's not anywhere in between. And so some of these passages are both. Some are difficult to understand, and once you understand, they are a hard pill to swallow. But my hope, my goal in this series is that you realize that Jesus is serious about his followers and the life that he's calling us to live, Uh, right, is that Sometimes, right, when we listen to these sayings, right, we may lack knowledge, uh, and so just assume that what we hear from the pulpit, what you hear from a, a YouTube video, from something on social media, from something you hear on a random podcast, something you read on whatever it is, is correct, right? But what I want to do today with this passage, but also in all these passages, is show you that there is a real one singular meaning for this passage, and yet in the same way we're able to apply it differently in no matter what area of life, season of life, we are in. So the hope is I want to establish here's the original meaning and then how we can apply it to our life today. So uh, for those who don't know, um, Jamie and I, my wife and I, are having a third kid and uh, due in September. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, But because of that, we found out it's a girl and so it's to be my second girl. And so Jamie, to prepare me for being a real girl dad now that I have going to have two girls and a boy, uh, is she's starting to make me rewatch some of these Disney princess movies, right? So, um, which is fine, uh, but she started out with Little Mermaid. And so for those who haven't seen Little Mermaid, it's okay. Uh, it's just, it's about a mermaid who is fascinated with the human world. And so she wants to know everything about it. She wants to be a human. And so she, she'll travel around the sea looking for little trinkets that she knows is not of her land, but is of the human world. Um, And so she goes and she finds a fork and she finds a tobacco pipe. And so she brings it to this bird named Scuttle. It's a seagull. And so Scuttle in The Little Mermaid is the expert of the human world. And so Scuttle grabs the fork and he says, oh, this is a dingleberry. And the humans use this to curl their hair and to use this. And and he's like, and she's like, oh, wow, because she believes anything that Scuttle says about the human world. And then she hands him the tobacco pipe and he goes, you know, this is, this is, wow, this is, let me see, it's the snarf blot, snarf blot, whatever it is. And he says, the snarf blot, the humans way back in the prehistoric times, they would sit around and just stare at each other. 
And it was boring, he says. And then he says, so what they did was they created this snarflot as a musical instrument to entertain themselves. And so then he blows in the tobacco pipe and no music comes out, but just a bunch of old tobacco and gross and stuff. Uh, but the reason I thought about that is because many a times, right, is that obviously a fork is a fork and a tobacco pipe is a tobacco pipe. But many a times we'll look at these passages and say, oh, this is a dingleberry. And really, we have it wrong altogether. And so what my goal is, is to say, hey, this isn't a dingleberry. This is a fork. And hey, this isn't what Jesus, what you think Jesus is saying. Culture may say this, but true biblical understanding says this is what it meant. And so that's my hope as we dive in into this passage. For if you are to live fully devoted to Christ, you must fully comprehend what he is actually telling you to do and asking of you. And this is what I mean when I say count the cost. And many times before you've heard me speak is that before you said yes to believing in Jesus and trusting in him, it wouldn't have been uncommon for all of us, most of us, for someone to not tell us what that actually means. What they said was, hey, accept Jesus. And it just made, sounded like the greatest thing ever. And it is the greatest news ever. But then they didn't tell you any of the thing that Jesus is saying to count the cost of what it will actually cost you to follow him what you'll actually lose out on, miss out on, not get, give up, sacrifice in order to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And hence is why this is the hard sayings of Jesus, because it's not easy to swallow. It's not always easy to obey. And so this is the goal of the series, right? To understand that Jesus wants all of you, not part of you, not Sunday morning you, not Wednesday night you, not before the kids wake up you. She, he wants your work you, your alone time you, your searching on the internet you, your social media you. He wants all of you, the way you spend your money, the way that you don't spend your money, the way that you give, don't give. He wants every bit of you is following Jesus. It's not this, hey, sort of rule of life, like, oh, this is just the rule of life I follow. No, it's you either follow Jesus and you're actually following him or you're not following him at all, and there's never either or, right? Especially as we'll read this passage, it's either all for Jesus or nothing for Jesus, nothing in between, right? And so I can't stress that enough in this series because I care more about your soul than I care about your happiness and whether or not you come back here or you like me or like what I have to say. This isn't about me. This is about Jesus calling us to die to ourselves and to count the cost for following him. So my heart and the Father's heart is that you see, is that though you see your sin, we want you to see your sins on the cross on Jesus and then to live in freedom, knowing he died for that sin and all your past, present, and future sins as well. He just wants you to come back to him, sit with him, abide in him, and he will show you a better way. Not the way of the world, but a better way. So let's read today's passage and we'll dive in. Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, a little context. So Jesus is telling John, John the disciple, not John the Baptist. He's, this is a vision that John is seeing. And so Jesus tells John, hey, write these letters to these existing churches. So this was a real church at the time that needed to deal with this letter and deal with the things needed to be said. It wasn't just some sort of like makeup, fairy tale sort of symbolism. Like this was a real letter written to a real church. And so that's very important to understand. So let's read verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, but not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's two very common sayings, right, or passages that we've heard a lot of times. Maybe many of you have heard. And so one is verses 15 through 16, right, that you are neither hot nor cold, that you either choose hot or cold because you are lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And really the word spit is vomit. Like he's so disgusted that he's saying, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And then there's verse 20, right, where it says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And so before we dive into the meaning of these passages, before we understand what these dinglehoppers and snarfblats are really talking about here, we have to better understand Laodicea. We have to better understand what is what was going on in Laodicea. What was the city known for? Why was this so important? Why did Jesus mention these specific things that he didn't mention in any other letters? Why did he say hot or cold? And so we will not address everything in this passage, but I just want to get to the heart of it because Jesus, too, was getting to the hearts of the believers in Laodicea. So Laodicea was a very wealthy place. It was a major trade route. So it was home to major finance, banking, a bunch of millionaires. Like it was, it was a very, very wealthy, wealthy place. And the city, though, is so wealthy that the city was decimated by an earthquake. And instead of Rome being able to send funds to help with relief, which anybody would have said, they were so proud and so rich that they said, we don't want your money. We'll use ours and rebuild the city ourselves. So later see, it was very wealthy. It, had, it was known because it had a school of medicine that was famous for its salves or ointments. And one of those was for eye ailments. And so they were known, it was a very, like, just up-and-coming place, very Silicon Valley-type feeling where they were just, so much was happening, innovating, so much money was there. It was also known for its raven black wool of the local sheep that the elite or upper echelon of society would wear to show how wealthy they were. And so the only thing that Laodicea did lack, though, so they had the money, they had the status, they had everything, they had the clothes, had all these things, but the only thing that they did lack was a good water supply. They didn't have direct access to cold water because they weren't close to the mountains, and then they didn't have any access to hot water because they were nowhere near any sort of hot springs or anything like that. 
And so everything had to be piped into these cement pipes that would go underneath the ground. And so people could cut off the pipes many miles away from the city. They could taint the water. There was like stuff in the water. Like the water was disgusting there in Laodicea because the water that came in was lukewarm because hot water, right, would be good for washing and cleaning, right, whereas cold water would be refreshing and used to drink. But yet all they had in Laodicea was this lukewarm, had a bunch of minerals, nasty, lukewarm water. So though they had everything, yet in the same way, their water was disgusting. And so it is said that even the Laodiceans were known to complain about the water themselves. And so let's start verse 15 through 16. Right, verse 15 through 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit, vomit you out of my mouth. And so Jesus wasn't saying that hot or cold was bad or good. He wasn't saying cold water was good or bad, hot water was good or bad. What he was saying was that lukewarm was bad and cold or or hot actually had purpose. Cold water had a purpose. Hot water had a purpose. But lukewarm, they would have understood it, is that it was pointless. You had had to heat it up or you had to, you know, sort of wait till it cooled down even more, store it underground. Like it had no sort of purpose whatsoever, right? Because rather they were lukewarm and good for nothing. And so what was the cause of them being lukewarm, right? Because now Jesus is talking about their hearts. Jesus is talking about their sin. And the cause of this was verse 17, for it says this. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so the church at Laodicea, the reason that Jesus wanted to vomit them out of his mouth was because they saw themselves as rich, needing nothing, because what they really were were spiritually self-sufficient, is that they were saying that I don't need Jesus. I have all these other things. And so I, like the water that I hate, have become this thing that is lukewarm, that has no purpose, because I am neither hot nor cold for Jesus. I am not in obedience, nor am I in disobedience, but I'm kind of this in-between. But yet Jesus said it is lukewarm and pointless and disgusting. You see, it wasn't that Jesus' words were, were their standard, but rather they made their own standards because the life that Jesus is calling them to live requires the power and life of Jesus to do so within them, right? Is that because you cannot live the life Jesus is calling you to live without Jesus. I've said it before. I'll say it a million times because you have to understand the life that Jesus is calling us to live, to not be lukewarm, to not be hot, I mean, to be hot or to be cold, is that life requires Jesus to help you. You have to have Jesus Jesus inside of you. Jesus has to be your greatest treasure. And if he's not, then these sayings become really hard sayings. But when you're sitting with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, and trying to be like Jesus, then it's not going to be difficult to do the things that Jesus calls you to live. But when you are of the world and lukewarm and not hot or cold, then it's going to be very difficult to obey Jesus in your life. So, you cannot live the life Jesus is calling you to live without Jesus. And until you fully obey and surrender to Jesus, you won't see the need for him either. So how is that? Because when you count the cost and try to do what Jesus is asking, it is, you start to realize it is impossible to do it without him. Right? I use it often, but the reason that most people do not forgive other people in their life 
right? Whether it's a family member, it's a friend, it's a fill in the blank, right? There's somebody, right, is that most Americans, average, right, statistics probably say 80% of us have somebody in our life that we have not forgiven, fully forgiven in our life right now. And the reason is because we don't understand, I would argue, that we, I, the reason we don't forgive is because we don't understand what we've been forgiven of. And when you realize what you've been forgiven of, then it doesn't matter what anybody does to you, you are called to forgive. It doesn't say start to forgive. It doesn't say think about forgive. It says forgive. That's what Jesus talks about, and we'll get to that later in another passage. So you need Jesus to help you forgive. You need Jesus to remind you where you were before he saved you if you are going to be able to forgive that person the way Christ calls you to forgive that person. And he does that by putting your eyes on what he did for you on the cross. So instead of Jesus calling the people of Laodicea blessed and doing well, because to the world, anybody in Laodicea, the church, they were rich. They were well off. They had everything made. Everything was going well. But instead, Jesus says they are wretched. They are pitiable. They are poor, blind, and naked. And so if you lived in Laodicea, imagine you, you're sitting in the church and you hear that Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of your life, wrote you a letter. And that he's writing to this church, right, where they had the ointments. They were known for medicine. They were wealthy. They had the black clothes that were just there to show how rich and well off they were. His words would have cut to the core because he said, your riches, your status, your breakthroughs in medicine, your fancy clothes of black do nothing for you. You count them as something, but I say they are the things that are condemning you today. They are the reason why I'm writing this letter of rebuke to you. All right? This is what Jesus was saying. What they held most dear, Jesus said, I know your works. I know what you're known for. I know what you think you're doing is enough, but it's not because you're doing it for you and not by abiding in me. And so they had become spiritually dead, spiritually numb to the Lord working in their hearts because why? They had enough and they didn't need Jesus. They had everything. And so what would Jesus write to us today? Would he need to address anything different than what he addressed to the Laodiceans? I don't think so. This is why this letter was kept for us, so that we can see that our works and the things that, the, and the, that are the very, and things are the very thing that condemn us, the things that we hold most dear. And so the heart of this passage is this, is that their hearts were not fully devoted to Jesus, and they saw no need of him, right? And the question you must wrestle with today is that, is your heart fully devoted to Jesus, do you actually see your need for Jesus in every area of your life? Or have you been living outside of him, trying to live the life he's calling you to live, and then wonder why you're not living the life that he's calling you to live? It's because you're not sitting with Jesus and you see no need of him. Because a need for Jesus drives many spiritual disciplines. For instance, if you don't need his word, the Bible, to satisfy your soul or to feed you, then you're not going to read the Bible. If you don't need to be reminded of God's faithfulness and goodness because you can handle life on your own, then you're not going to read the Bible. 
if you don't need God to intervene, then you will never pray. If you don't think God can actually do anything or wants to do something in this situation in your life, then you will never pray. If you don't need to be more devoted to him and try to separate yourself from the world, then you will never fast either. And so we see a need for Jesus drives spiritual disciplines in our life. And so if you want to know why your spiritual disciplines are lacking, it's because you don't see a need for Jesus, which then would automatically drive you to read, to pray, to fast, to spend time with him. But because there's no need, then there's no doing. And so the works are, I go to church and I hear enough scripture there. I listen to Christian radio, which I hope you do. Because uh, I work at the station, so I just, just a little, little throw in there. We were listening to Christian radio, not enough, right? Like you think that's enough for me today. I heard a passage, right? But it's not, right? You have to understand that your need for scripture and prayer is so important, and you need more of it than you realize you do. So, but like the Laodiceans, right? If you don't do any of those things, is that you will not see a need for Jesus if you think you're enough. You must understand that Jesus is not a fairy tale or just a rule to live by. But we as Christians are supposed to be actually following Jesus. And the life he lived is the example we must follow. Not should follow, must follow as believers, as followers of him. We find it in the scriptures. We find the example in people we are following who are following Jesus, right? Is that we are supposed to be actually following Jesus, eyes on him, spending time with him, reading the word, praying, fasting, doing the disciplines, not because any of those things in themselves, but it's because what's driving that is I just need Jesus. And because I need Jesus, I'm in the word. Because I need Jesus, I'm in prayer. Because I need Jesus, I'm discipling other people because they need Jesus too. And I need to be reminded that I need Jesus. So I'm going to go disciple somebody else because that's more Jesus than I get. And there's enough Jesus to go around for all of us, right? But it all starts and goes down to do you actually need Jesus? Do you think you need Jesus? Are you living in a way that shows you need Jesus? See, you think that reading the Bible once a week, maybe twice, praying only before meals and bedtime, giving when you have extra instead of out of delight is enough, but it isn't. As I said earlier, right, it's all or nothing. It's deny yourself and surrender to Jesus. It's I have this, and, and it, the reason that I, I have this urgency and, and this, the seriousness of it is because you and I are not promised today. We're not promised to eat dinner tonight. We're not promised to eat breakfast tomorrow. You're not promised next week. You're not promised next month, right? But we live as if eternity on this earth and we are bulletproof. But yet the problem is, is that we're living these lukewarm Christian lives instead of saying, I need Jesus. And so our lives, we say, we identify, but yet everything else, sometimes your political views trump Jesus, our hunger trumps Jesus, our desires trump Jesus our purchasing habits trump Jesus, right? Our words trump Jesus. Everything about us trumps Jesus instead of Jesus trumping everything else and he being the filter for every decision we make in every area of our life, right? It's, we aren't owed any time, right? Every day truly is a gift. And so before I finish the sermon, let me just ask, do you see your need of Jesus? I'm gonna ask it multiple times. Do you actually see your need of Jesus? Because most people are blinded by their own pride and sin, right? Because it's easy to agree on a Sunday morning, right? It's easy to agree when you're sitting here 
listening to songs, right? We're praising around other Christians, right? But it's, do you see your need of Jesus when you're at work and you're around no believers whatsoever, right? Be able to live this life that to be a light in the darkness, you need Jesus to do so, right? And so if you want to know if you need Jesus, just answer, or if you have been needing Jesus, shall I say, or if you want to know if you've been living in light of needing Jesus, answer this one question, right? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Here's another question. Do you think that you are spiritually self-satisfied? Right, because you would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I pray, I pray, I'm self-satisfied, right? But the thing is, you can't ever pray enough. And so you may have answered, right? But let's test your answer and my answer against, there's this quote by a pastor named John Piper, and he says this, how frequently, how earnestly, how expectantly, how extendedly do you strive with God to have a deeper knowledge of Christ, greater earnestness in prayer, more boldness in witness, sweeter joy in the Holy Spirit? Do you long for deeper sorrow for sin, warmer compassion for the lost, more divine power to love those around you? Are you going after God in your prayer life hard every day, often, and long? Right, a hard indicator of a spiritually self-satisfied, not needing Jesus life is this, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. You want to know if you've been living self-satisfied? How's your prayer life? It was once said, every minute in prayer is saying, Jesus, I need you. And every minute out of prayer is saying, Jesus, I can handle this on my own. Every minute. Every moment we need Jesus. See, if not, do you see that you may be the Christian that Jesus wants to vomit out of his mouth this morning? These are, right, hear me out. I already told you hard sayings of Jesus, right? Like this isn't, this is Jesus' words. I'm just trying to help make them clear and understandable to today's context. But right now, would you be the very lukewarm Christian that Jesus wants to vomit out of his mouth because we are neither hot nor cold? And I do not stand up here today. Just building this message brought so much conviction on my life of the lack of prayerlessness that I have been living in in many areas of my life that I've just been handling on my own. If you find yourself lukewarm today, then let's continue reading the passage. Verse 18, he says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Right, you can see that Jesus was talking to their idols, right? That they were dealing with riches. They were proud of their black clothes, they were proud of their medicinal breakthroughs. They were proud of everything, and yet Jesus says, but instead, buy from me gold refined by fire. Let me give you clothes of white righteousness to cover your nakedness and shame. He's saying, and then I'm going to give you salve so you can see the world the way that you're supposed to see and give wisdom to live the life that you're supposed to be living. Jesus wanted the Laodicean church to lay down their pride 
their trust in earthly things so that he can give them riches, white garments of righteousness, so that their sin and shame can be covered. And he offers the same thing to you today and me today, lukewarm Christian. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Right, this was written, yes, these verses coming up can be used for lost people of the behold, I stand at the door, but, but Jesus was, was talking to the lukewarm. He was saying, I love you. And this is why I'm trying to be real, real with you right now. I love you so much that I'm not going to let you continue to chase after these things that are pointless. The way, Laodicean church, that you hate the water you drink, do you not understand that it's the same thing of the way that you're living your life? That you are neither hot nor cold? That you have no purpose whatsoever, but you're just, you know, just on cruise control? There's no obedience the zeal that you once had for me is no longer there. The love you had for me, the desire for the loss, the desire to pray, the desire to read and spend time with our Lord and Savior is not there. And the same thing to living grace today and the church in America today, it's the same thing is that we have lost it, that we have become lukewarm, that we have, not, we have no purpose, that God saved us and then, what, then we've done nothing with it. Right, just think about how many people have you invited to church, right? I didn't get to the question of how many people have you evangelized, right? That's a heavier question. But how many people have you just invited to church? How many people have you prayed for in your life, in the middle of a conversation, just say, let's pray about that right now? How many people have you invited to a church? It's not to be living grace. Tell them, go, there's a million great churches. Not a million, you know what I'm saying. There's great churches all over Tyler, Texas. Fantastic churches. Great churches, great pastors. Tell them to give them a list. I'll give you a list of churches they can go attend. How many of you invited here? How many of you told of just your story of how God rescued you from death to life? Jesus knows what's best for us, and that's why he has these hard sayings. So when will you stop pacifying your flesh with more things, more guys, more girls, more pornography, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of a greater status, and instead lay it all down, for it is the very thing that is condemning you today, as all these things were the very things that were condemning the Laodicean church. And Jesus says, be zealous and repent. So do you want true joy in your life as a believer? It comes through repentance. It comes through you laying down all your life and saying, Jesus, I need you because nothing else has worked. So do you want to know where you will get the riches Jesus is offering? It comes from him. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Right, this can be used to address the loss in his arm, but like I said, this was written specifically to the lukewarm believers in Laodicea. But the sermon today, right, is first and foremost for me because I need Jesus to be able to work and balance my jobs. I need Jesus to help me pastor the church. 
I need Jesus to be able to be a good husband. I need Jesus to have a good prayer life. I need Jesus in order to think and, and trust that me waking up earlier every single day is going to be worth it at the end of the time because I've spent time with Jesus. That I need, I need Jesus to help me as I'm pastoring people. I need Jesus as I'm talking with people at my job. I need Jesus in every, every, every area, every single area in my life. And every bit of this sermon was just a reminder saying that I have been trying to do all of this without Jesus. And I don't want the same for you. I don't want you to fall in the same potholes that I fell into. I don't want you to continue down the same path that you're walking down trying to live without Jesus. Because I even need Jesus to help me to forgive people. And so the invitation still stands today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. But you see, Jesus is not gently knocking on this door. Like, Jesus, if, if this is the letter of rebuke that it is, and this isn't a simple, if I had a pulpit, I would be banging on this thing. I don't have one. This thing will fall and break my iPad. But Jesus is banging on the door in the same way that if, your, if you knew your neighbor's house was on fire and you did not see them outside, you would be banging on every single door, every window, breaking the windows, trying to break down the door, trying to get your neighbor to wake up because you know he got sleep apnea and he's got that machine going and he can't hear anything. He's in a deep sleep and you know that. And so what are you going to do? Because you love him and he's your neighbor, you're going to go bang on that door, start pull a gun out, shoot the door, trying to do everything possible. And in the same way, how many times has Jesus tried to knock at your door and tried to make you realize and break some windows in your life, showed you that you need him more than you realize, the sicknesses that you've gone through, the people that you've lost, the jobs that you've lost, the people, the, the situations, the trials, the sufferings, all of these things is Jesus trying to show you that he is at the door trying to help you, trying to get you through this thing and yet the whole time you're held into this little closet not wanting to open the door because you can handle it on your own and yet Jesus is saying I am here let me in let me help you walk through that forgiveness let me help you walk through that suffering let me help you walk through giving up these idols in your life and pursuing these things that are not worth pursuing he doesn't want you to live with things that are slowly destroying you. He wants to live with you. He wants to come in like a good friend and just sit and talk and play board games with you. You know, you just have those friends, you just come over and just hang out. And so you just play and Jesus wants to come in and do life with you. He doesn't want to stand at the door like a salesman that you're trying to ignore and you just want the things from the salesman and you don't really want to talk to the salesman or let him in your house. And how many times do we just want the things of Jesus, but we don't want to let him into our hearts to let him deal with the things that we know we need to deal with, but we're not actually going to deal with it because why? We left him outside on the porch. The life Jesus is calling us to, calling us to live seems harsh because we want the riches of Jesus and the blessings of Jesus, but don't want him inside the house. It all boils down to verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
Jesus doesn't want you or I to live in defeat, but we will stay living defeated lives if we see no need of Jesus. We are ruining our lives ourselves. We don't need other people's help to do that by the decisions that we make daily. Jesus wants to step in to remind us lukewarm Christians that he conquered sin in the grave and he has riches that we can't earn and he has white clothes of righteousness to clothe our sin and shame that we don't deserve to have. Jesus is knocking on your heart today. Will you let him in today, lukewarm Christian? Will you pray today that God would show you your need of him? Will you stop being lukewarm and instead choose to be hot or cold because you cannot do it without Jesus? And he wants to help you today with that. But maybe you're not a Christian. The invitation is still the same. Do you see your need for Jesus? Do you see, do you want to have true soul satisfying life? Do you want all your past mistakes, sins, and bad decisions to be washed away? Jesus too is knocking, reminding you that he died for every one of those sins on the cross. And you can be washed today if you come to Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.